0: Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of to G Rants. I'm Tan Grace, and as always, we're joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, are you as tired as I am after this like long weekend and everything that's going on? I don't know. It's 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 a Friday, so I feel like I should have had time
1: to recover, but I have not. Well, I've I feel like I've pretty well recovered, and I I didn't leave. You got you left on Sunday too. I I spent I all a... Monday traveling home and didn't get yeah. back to, to you know to my house till about one in the morning on Monday night. So. I basically took Tuesday to recover and yeah. I've been okay since then. I, uh, I've i had a crazy week
0: or whatever. So like I drove up late Thursday night, um, you know, worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday, drove back to my place Sunday night, got up Monday morning, packed up my shit and moved and moved back to BR because I've been spending some time in Austin. And uh, so like, I'm back in BR now and I think I just like took like, I woke up Monday, and I was like, if you know, if I feel up to it, I'll do it. And I, I woke up, and I was like, I feel up to it, and I did this. And uh my body was just like, yeah, you thought. <laughs> or whatever. And then Tuesday and Wednesday were kind of rough. And then the last two days, I've gotten back in the gym. And I, I went to the gym today. And, man, I'm just like, I'm just tired. <laughs> yeah. So you're not, <laughs> <I'm> not tired <laughs> from anything from last weekend. You're tired from things you did this week. That, too. Well, it, you know what I mean? Like, you just had, like... You ever just had, like, five or six days in a row where you're just, like, go, 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 go. Like, don't stop. And, like, you're not eating as well as you normally do. You're not sleeping as well as you normally do. That kind of stuff. So, yeah. But, anyway, uh, this this week's episode is going to be a lot about the last week. You know, you played in the RCQ. Uh, I'm sorry, the RC. I did coverage for the RC. And Brent played as well. And even both of you got on coverage, which was awesome. We'll be talking about that and the fact that you both got your asses kicked on coverage, too, as well, <laughs> which was nice. And then, um,
1: will that, we'll was, was, that ta- was really we'll... the moment where my weekend started going downhill, Tannen. Sure, so. sure. It's all uh, your fault, is my Are you point. sure it wasn't when we had dinner the
0: night before? that it started to go downhill. Anyway, uh, obviously we'll, we'll touch on some Lord of the Rings stuff. I'll probably have a little bit of a quicker episode. We may get to some mailbag questions that I just realized have been sitting in the mailbag for quite a while. Ross, I'm going to take full responsibility for that. I was unaware that we had mailbag questions, and they've been in here a good bit, and I'm, I feel pretty bad about it. So we'll try to touch on it, though I do feel like some of this was either not answered at a timely manner and therefore cannot be answered correctly and or has been answered by other things like well, what he and done or something like that so we'll try to get to that i will apologize again when we get there to the two people in question and with a questions and the mailbag hopefully we can get the mailbag to be a little more active in the future as well um besides that anything going on for you in the last week so
1: since i got to see you over the weekend <laughs> it was just was fun Yeah, so not not a ton to update, we just, you know, it's a normal week. We've got some RCQs this weekend local in Roanoke, so just Uh, figure it out for those. Back on the grind? Yep. I've got one more weekend here playing tournaments, and then I'm doing commentary for a couple weeks. Next weekend I'll be in Ohio doing uh, an Apex Gaming event, Uh Uh, so make sure to, you know, check social media for the info regarding that, and then the week after is a Mana Traders event, and we'll be, Corey and I will be commentating remotely,
0: so... I like how you and I trade off with that. Like, whenever I'm really busy doing commentary, you're usually playing in the events or whatever. And then, <laughs> yeah. like, whenever I'm like, man, I've got like a little, because I've got a downtime there. And I'm actually considering taking a vacation, you know, because I've got some time off, you know, and nothing going on immediately. And it's like, well, you're like, oh, I've got these things. And I'm like, kind of jealous. But, you know, I've got some more stuff in the future and then hopeful more stuff. Like, there's a bunch of gigs I'm waiting to hear on because there's two more big gigs for Flesh and Blood this year plus. I'm I'm hoping to hear that uh, I, I assume I'm gonna be doing the RC in Atlanta and I'm like uh, well I'm not doing Barcelona, but I'm hoping to be working Vegas for the um the Pro Tour Con thing. What I, I don't what's the official name of those events? I probably should know so that works them. It's like Magic Con. Magic Fest. Magic Fest with the Pro Tour or whatever, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You know whatever I'm seeing. So I'm hoping to do all that. So but yeah, I mean like you, you notice my my job is extremely like high low. Like, you know, like I'll have like a month or two where I will work and then there's a month where I'm like I was in seven different time zones this month or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: something along that. Yeah. But, I'm I'm pretty barren in July, so I'm just trying to get through June here. Uh mm-hmm. you know doing a bunch of tournaments and and mm-hmm. commentating at the end. But honestly, like the, the fact that the commentary doesn't require nearly as much prep work because I'm already accommodating formats that I know. Yeah. You know, if I was, you know, I know, like Corey was, you know, lamenting to me the other day that he thought he had more time uh, before this, you know, the Lord of the Rings set came out because that's when he, you know, he has to start playing the limited format to prepare for, you know, his WOTC, uh commentary gigs and stuff and so you, you haven't, you haven't done commentary for a limited, right? Like that's <laughs> the one that usually requires a yeah. lot more prep. Any, even, you know, if it's, I don't know, I think Barcelona is pioneering. Is it modern actually? I think it might. I, I think, think it's, it's modern. modern. I'm yeah. pretty positive it's modern, Yeah, but it'll be, but it,
0: it'll also be Lord of the Rings limited if I remember right.
1: Yeah. And, and then you've got to, you know, figure out the new set of cards and, and all of that, you know, that's, the, the, that's the stuff that, that I do is too. a lot more here's the format that I've built, been playing tournaments for for the last, you know, year. Yeah, and I know the differences that have happened in the last two months in that yeah. format. You yeah. know, like, oh, this you has know, become more popular. You know? <laughs> I'll, I'll check out the the, resu- the recent results to see if I'm missing anything, if there's something new, but it's like I'm making very minor adjustments to a knowledge base that is already well built. So, sure. uh, you know, that, that makes it a, a lot easier for sure. Uh-huh. So uh, it, it shouldn't be too tough on me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, the the biggest thing for me for prep for, like, pro tours and stuff is, and it's, it's nice to complain about this. It's like, for what do they call it? First world problems. It's just memorizing the names of all the cards. You know, for the pro tour in Minneapolis, uh, you know, Frank Carson is just a genius. And, uh, you know, I was working with him and he sent me, uh, he made a program that was just magic flashcards. So, like, the picture of the card would come up. And they would ask you, do you know the name of this? Yes or no. And then you'd click, like, you don't know, no, it would tell you what the card is or whatever. Or you'd say yeah. whether you got it right or not. If you got it right, then you could, like, take it out of the rotation. But if you didn't, you know, it would stay in the rotation. There's a uh, it. I think it's called Anki. Well, the, I think hey, he just built it into a browser because I just, like, click yeah. on do It would just pop up onto my computer.
1: I, I know when I, when I was studying for Jeopardy years ago, I found a flashcard app. Uh-huh. That had you know different sets of things depending on what one you wanted to do, and and you could make custom ones. Uh, like that was something you could you could build a custom set, but it would um you know it would run you through the cards. But the ones that you kept getting right, it would sort of you know n- naturally they would appear less often over time, and the ones that you know uh you're you keep getting wrong would appear a little bit more often, which you know in a way that you know was was better for your your retention. So I was wondering if they were just doing it that way. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I'm I'm assuming there's some built-in thing for that. I, I don't know. He might have just yeah. very quickly put this together for the people who needed it the most, which was me and a few other people in the coverage. Um, I definitely feel for Corey going into uh, Barcelona for him to like memorize the cards on the set because have you seen the names of the cards in the set? I assume they're all just very long and... Yeah, I mean it's it's very we get that anyway, right? Yeah, but there's there's like seventeen different Gandalfs, you know. And I, yeah, and yeah, like yes, I'm being I'm being like obviously hypermolek there, but I'm not far off. I think there's like five, you know, and depending what color they are, it's different, right? And it's like which Schmeagol is this? Like which Calandriel is this? Like which you know which Hobbit is this? And you know you're gonna call Sam Frodo or something at some point. You're just gonna be like, oh my god, and also. I, I know this for a fact because I had to do it at the RC. They have to be careful what they call the set. We're not allowed to say just Lord of the Rings because it's it's licensed by different companies. You have to say Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-Earth because that's all they have. The, that's all they have the licensing to say because like Peter Jackson and like his company owns some amount of Lord of the Rings and the rights to it. You should see Ross's face right now as I'm explaining this to him. everybody at home. This is amazing. And then like the actual foundation of Tolkien owns other stuff, so like they only have the rights to like this. I think it's one of the reasons why the art looks so different, as well. And they were allowed to just do whatever they wanted with the art, it is because of the fact that it's Tales of Middle Earth. And yeah, who I, again, the again,
1: fuck cares? Why? Why would break? anyone decide to care about
0: this shit? I mean, I don't know. I feel like. I'm just telling you that I was specifically told yeah. if you say because like you could oh, tell well, like I, I, do, I, I do an interview where I talk about you did a preview card and I'm very careful to say Lord of the Rings tales of Middle Earth every time I told the other guy I was like please say the full name <laughs> like yeah kind of stuff but anyway let's talk about the RC that we that went on over the weekend um, it seems like you actually made a pretty big pretty good call on the deck that you played over the weekend even though your personal record wasn't you know super great that's yeah. fine. But I just want to talk about a little bit of like the Pioneer metagame that went across the first five regional championships. This is something that goes. Say, I am very smart. I sure. know you doubted me again. I. You're you're very handsome, skinny, smart. Your beard is luscious and full. Um. You're very attractive. I'm not very good looking. What's the? I don't remember. Really okay. Quote. As long as you're willing <laughs> yeah. to admit all that. Sure. <laughs> now let's get to work. <laughs> we can continue. Okay. But um, Frank Carson put this together. So if you wanted to follow along at home. Don't do this like driving, please. Um, if you want to pull up his Twitter, hold on, it's uh, at Karsten underscore Frank. I remember, right? Yeah, that's it. He has this kind of put in, and so it's not talk about like, the, the hi- most highly represented decks. Real quick, I'm going to throw a bunch of numbers at everybody in the kind of thoughts. So, okay, Ross. Uh, the highest metagame share, no surprise, Rectus mid- mid-range coming at 21% uh, across the five expected. Uh, expected. Uh, second place, also expected uh, Monogreen Devotion at 11%. These are both Point one, like 21.1. Oh boy, I'm just gonna kind yeah. of gloss over that. Whatever. Um, also expected what surprised me about this is how many people who chose this, like especially like some very smart, very good magic players, were telling me they were like, Monogree is is actually well positioned this weekend and like saying well positioned to me for a deck that's just been the best deck in Pioneer for the last year. Like overall, you know what I mean? Like overall, yeah, like before Rakdos, I'm getting a really big launch chair. Grade has just been the best deck for a long time. It's just surprised that people sent that sentence to me. You know, like, yeah. I was very taken aback.
1: I think we sort of entered this, you know, period of collective delusion about the Pioneer metagame. You know, we, we all had Rakdos and Monogreen at the, at the top, and for a while it, it was commonplace to just say Monogreen's the best deck. You know, like, last fall, Monogreen's I... really good, it's the best deck, you know, just play it. Um, and, you know, Though should be banned, but it won't because it's the RCQ promo. And then that first wave of RCs happens, and Mono Green doesn't do that well, you know, relative to its uh, reputation and relative to its uh, metagame saturation. And part that part of that was the Rakdos decks finally, you know, figuring out the matchup a little bit and having that matchup be relatively close. You know, Misery Shadow was a part of it, uh, but you know mono green was their number one target for all the mid range players and the number one target of a lot of, you know, a lot of other people. (laughs) And that led to mono green sort of being relegated, you know, to sort of clear deck two status and Rakdos ascended. And for the last six months or so, we've been all in on Rakdos being the best deck. And it was because, you know, the mono green matchup isn't as bad as you think. And without that, you know, Rakdos is much better against the rest of the metagame. But, over time, the metagame has slowly shifted to where now everybody's starting Rakdos as their number one target, not so much caring if they have a weaker mono green matchup. And that included the Rakdos decks themselves. You know, we stopped seeing Misery Shadow in a lot of lists, maybe you'd see one. And we started seeing them, you know, gear up more towards the mirror, or more towards, you know, other aggressive strategies. And, you know, if you do that often enough, eventually, like, you know, mono green does become well positioned again. As paradoxical as that sounds, or as weird as it sounds to say, and that's what we saw this last weekend, you know. So really, like, the entire time, it's been this push and pull between Mono Green and Rakdos, and we saw the extreme of the metagame towards targeting Mono Green and Rakdos take advantage six months ago, and now we're seeing it, you know, the elastic band be stretched the other direction, and we finally stretched too far. And Rakdos had a pretty bad weekend, Mono Green had a fairly good one. Uh, yeah, so, depending on which yeah, depending on which
0: rectus because this has Raktos mid range. Yeah. I'm assuming that I mean, Raktos Sacrifice is different. It is on this list. Yes. Raktos Sacrifice some did quite choice. well. Very different deck. Yeah. And we'll talk about like conversion rates and stuff later. Uh gotta round out the the other top decks here. Is it creativity came in a little over eight percent? Close did not to not seven a good weekend. Yeah, close to seven percent Azorius control at six point seven. Um still surprised by how many people play this deck. We'll talk about that more Should in a minute. The Azorius control yeah. people just they live on a different player. It's, it's just, like the Jund people from back in the day in the in the modern opens. Like I, I know for a fact you have at least one avid Jund player that I mean Jund a uh, Zorius control player that listens to this. Like, Mikey, put the cards down, they're not good. I'm sorry. <laughs> like <laughs> but uh sorry, Rails. Absent Grease vein came in at six percent. Also right at six percent, mono white humans. This is the number that really surprised me. Your Boris Convoke was only four point two percent of the metagame. I expected a higher showing.
1: Didn't surprise me as much. I think, you know, if if it had been the week before, we would have seen a much higher number there. But we had a sort of we had enough time for the hype to hit its peak and then die down. And we found out that, yeah, this is a good deck, but it is far from a world breaker. And, uh, you know, notably, it had a reasonable matchup against Rakdos midrange, not so good against mono green. Uh, and that's, you know, one of the reasons I think Mono Green had a good weekend. We added another good matchup to it into the metagame, you know, even if at only 5%, that makes a, a pretty real difference. So, yeah. um, I think it, it was enough time, not only, you know, for the hype to die down, it was enough time for people to figure out, you know, how they wanted to adjust their deck for it. If they, you know, wanted to add cyborg cards and you know, beating that deck, I think is pretty clear. You know, you can either, you know, clear out the tokens as quickly as possible, the the early part, or you know, and this is what I did with the spirits was just counter the five drops, and then yeah. their deck looks embarrassing. <laughs> yes, yeah. If you could stop the the other stuff, like you could eventually just put a two three into play and be like, yeah. I will block. Like, like unless they're playing their five drop turn two on the play, you have yeah. time to hold up mana and counter it. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, I like
0: round around a few more of these other things. Lotus field three point seven. It that fires. surprised me. I thought there would be a little bit more lotus field. Um, I think but, people are just scared to play the deck. It's kind of like that combo thing back in the day. Like I just shy away from combo decks in general. Yeah. I almost never play though. Yeah,
1: it's been so long that the the meta game is kind of fully adapted to it. So I think some of the you know better Lotus Field players got off of it, and that scared a lot of other people. And that's and it's not a deck that's going to like pick up more. Um, but I, I didn't think yeah. it would drop off quite as much as it did. Like you know, was, you said what three point seven. I expected it to be more like five or six, like, you know, so yeah, 3. Point one seven, to two percentage yeah. points higher than it was, but I think um, you make a good point. Like you don't have people rushing out there to learn the deck and pick it up. Yeah. It's just like, well, yeah, they, they've, they've picked up as many people as they're going to pick up. Yeah. You know, sure. I, Makes honestly, sense. like you, decks like that, they, you can model them with uh with a logistic function, uh, which I'm sure you're intimately familiar with Tannen, but, Basically, oh yeah, do you, them all the time for you, fun. You, yeah. you sort of start slow, and then there's this inflection point where it really picks up speed, but then it you know tails off at the top as well. So hey. it's a, it's almost this elongated S. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually the the you know a curve that is commonly used in modeling the spread of disease. Uh, and so we, you know, I think that would be a reasonable like, you know somebody way smarter than I am or way more knowledgeable in the area. I think it you could also... use similar concepts to model like, metagame saturation, especially of, like, one-off decks that aren't going to stick around as Tier 1 decks for months on end, like Rakdos and Monogreen have.
0: It's also really good at showing the model of my ability to put up with Ross Merriam as well
1: over time.
0: <laughs> so, it's it's really good. Anyway, I'm going to uh, finish this out with a few more decks, and we'll go into some more stuff. Uh, Azorius Spirits came out at 3.2, with Ignomatic Fires at 3.5. Yeah. Azorius Rakdos... Spirits had one of the highest win rates. We'll, t- we'll talk about that in a minute. You're getting ahead of the stuff here uh recto sacrifices you know right at three percent as well and then just a bunch of other smattering of decks and we'll talk about that as well but i wanted to talk about the win rates from the first five regional championships of decks and uh so again this is from frank carson the deck with the highest win rate was azorius lotus field and this is a deck that's been picking up a little bit of stuff i've been seeing people tweet about it somebody was streaming it the other day uh this is more of the combo lotus field you know where you stop come into play abilities from happening and it lets Lotus Steel come into play. That like some other stuff going on, but um, this is a, a smaller sample size than the decks below it, obviously. It's less represented, but yeah. it did have a 62.5% win rate. What's, while, the, what's the error bar on that? I don't know. Error bar represented
1: 95% confidence interval. So, And what are the ends of the error bar? I don't know. It, 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 Carson almost always puts the uh,
0: d- do you want to look it up yourself? Because I don't, I don't know where he has that on the graph. Yeah. The graph well, is very detailed. There's a lot of shit
1: on here. Link me to it. I uh, just search his, his Twitter. Ah, okay, okay. I got you, I got you.
0: Okay, I'm going to say a few things. Well, uh, again, small sample size, but it won 60% of its games versus Rakdos mid-range. It won 69% nice percent of its games against Monogreen, but that's a 12 and 8 and an 11 and 5. And it go undefeated versus Boros Convoke in the in the uh, matchup numbers that they have here. So it was five and zero. And then you start going down into the numbers from the other you know popular uh, decks, and your numbers are way higher here. So like Rakdos Sacrifice had the second highest win rate. This is what we were talking earlier. We we're alluding to it that really underrepresented deck for how well it did because it won fifty nine point one percent of its games over the uh, tournament. And this is this is pretty awesome that this deck did this well. It won about sixty percent of its games, and it held its own against mono green devotion at you know forty nine percent. But here's where the big thing is against Rakdos Midrange, It won sixty eight percent of its games. That's huge. And then you you look at it versus other specific decks too, which while they're not super popular, like mono white humans wasn't the most popular thing ever. But you know multiple people got qualifications from it. It was still showing up. It was twenty and two versus that deck like, for a ninety one percent win percentage. But looking across the board, you're looking at a lot of like 45 to sixty to seventy one percent stuff across the board against the most popular decks. And, you know, it did well against Boris Kamova, won sixty percent of its game. So I think Recto right sacrifice, it's easy to say that this was one of the big breakout decks this weekend and it looked like one of the best choices. We also saw it, you know, get second place at the uh at the event that here in Dallas almost Atlanta in Dallas over yeah. the weekend. So
1: Honestly, the impressive part to me here is the 34 and 35 against Monogreen Devotion. That's historically been yes. the bugaboo for Rakdos Sacrifice. Yep. So, um, you know, having that... a reasonable weekend and getting that matchup to where it's close uh, is a, a huge deal, especially since Monogreen is probably on the rise at this point. I know that one of the guys that was playing it and doing well with it,
0: and I, I might be misquoting, he said the big thing was like, they started getting Thoughtseize back into their deck. More and that was a big help. Like just taking like the one, you know, being able to a uh, curve in a or there gives buys them an extra turn or two, and they're able to like get across the finish line. Yeah, so, my, so
1: when I was playing Rakdos Sacrifice, my issue was that I felt like I needed all of the different interaction, and if I had too much of it in total, then I couldn't ever pressure my opponent. So I like I want to have fatal push for early mana creatures. I want to have thoughtseers. Obviously, I want to have claim the firstborn since it's the most synergistic removal spell in the deck. You're also seeing play like Annihilating Glare as a way to answer Planeswalkers. We've got the Big threats, so you can take bigger things like Cavalier of Thorns or Shieldred. Uh, the newest one is, is the one that makes a treasure when it, the creature connects, um, so it kind of only costs two instead of three, and maybe you get like extra Mayhem Double Pings and things like that, so uh, also synergistic with it. But it, then I end up with a deck that has like, you know, 14 removal spells in it, and... I have very little in the in the way of pressure. Is it really just Mayhem Devil, uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, and like one Croxa? So I always felt like the deck needed more pressure, but looking at the lists from this weekend, they were pretty stock and like, you know, very close to what I was playing. So um, you know, it's possible that the the metagame just moved in a way that that made sense for it. Good. Um and I think it's always been a pretty solid deck. Like it's had solid numbers for a while, but you're right that like this, this weekend was pretty big for it, both in terms of these numbers, but also in terms of, you know, making top eights and, and because of, you know, Yeah. Yeah. That, those kind of conversions, even if they don't mean as much to people who are really looking deep into, into the, these results, uh, it does mean a lot for people that are just casually watching and, and it does mean the deck is probably going to uh-huh. pick up in popularity.
0: Yeah. Uh, another thing about picking up a popularity or, uh, uh, if, if this was like a stock show and we talked about Hollow Fountain, I'd be telling you buy, buy, buy right now. Just like buy as much as you possibly can because talking about Azorius Lotus Field being the, the first most winning deck. So the third most winning deck was a big sample size. Ross, you should feel validated here. Azorius yeah. Spirits. At 315 and 238, won 57% of its matches. And I want to talk about some of the the big matchups against Rakdos mid range. Remember, you said you thought this matchup was more palatable than people did uh, thought as well, and the, the numbers support it. was forty eight percent against Monogreen
1: Devotion. This is where you're really getting hold, some of your yeah. your bread S- buttered on, sixty one percent, sixty four and sixty eight against Rakdos. and I punted one of those matches. So, so 60, uh, 65 and sixty seven. If so. we could get a sixty five and sixty seven, you're, you're like you're right. basically a five hundred.
0: Yeah. Uh, looking at it against something that maybe stands out. I'm seeing a lot of like, you know, 45 to 50% versus a lot of other stuff, meaning you have a lot of game in these matchups. You know, probably comes down to one small thing, but another big one is better its cap, it won 88% of its games against Abzan Grease Fang. Ross it was 35 and 5 against that deck. And that's a deck that I'm always thought a little bit underrepresented. I, I like that deck a lot. I think it's very powerful. It's really cool. And it's just got a huge win percentage there. So you're looking at a very solid win percentage against Monogreen Devotion, Abzan Grease Fang. And very palatable, like 50% against the other important decks. Like, is it Creativity, mid Midrange, Mono like Humans, you know, these decks where the matchups are really, really close. And, you know, if you draw a sideboard card, you might be able to skew one way or the other. So, 57% win percentage for that deck over the weekend. Really, really good choice. Yeah. No, of a huge sample size, too. No,
1: notably, like, you know, we're only seeing matchups for the top seven decks here. The Spirits also annihilates Lotusfield Combo and the all the Fires of Invention decks. Which I think
0: we're going to see a little bit of an uptick after what happened on camera this weekend. I know that I immediately wanted to play that deck after watching our friend Elliot Raff make his unprecedented run during that tournament. Kind of sucks for him that he lost in the first round top eight. That was two of his three game losses for the entire tournament. He lost one game for the entire tournament to the top eight and then lost two to one in the semifinals, which was, uh, I'm sorry, the quarterfinal, which is a little rough for him. Um. Below that, I'll just kind of like quickly go over a few of the other things. Selesany Angels is the fourth highest winning deck. These are smaller sample sizes at 54%. Monoblue Spirits at 54% as well. And then we get to some of the other big decks. Uh, Monogreen Devotion, 53, about 54%. 53.8%. Um, for, for a deck that highly played, that is a very solid winner. It's right? very solid. Here's here's the big one for me. Versus mid uh, midrange with a huge sample size. It won 63% of its games.
1: Sign me up for a deck that's far ahead of like your most common matchup in the field. Yeah, and I think we're going to start to see the 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 balance shift when mono green is going to start being the most popular deck again. Yep. Uh The one right after mono green
0: devotion kind of surprises me because this is a deck I felt like kind of fallen off a lot lately. It wasn't popular. It's just mono white humans actually did pretty well over the, over the weekend. It was fifty two point five percent win rate. And looking across the board, yeah, it loses to Ractus mid-range a little bit at forty-five percent, but it's got a really good matchup against Mono Green at sixty-three yeah. percent. And then you're looking at like is it creativity where it wins over Shakespeare as well? Thalia holding up a lot of the weight there. I'm, I've gotta believe that card is just absurd in that matchup. Plus, you're relying on shock a lot in some of the other, like, is it creativity. So if they need your creatures out in shock range, really hard. It's you know, it's good against Azorius Control and a couple of these other uh match. Let me let me make sure I'm I gotta like put a I have a highlight across the bar here. Yeah, it looks like it's got a pretty solid win rate against most of the popular decks here. Like you're at 45% against Rex mid range, then you're at 63% against Mono Green, 61 against Is that crazy? It'd be 57 against Azorius Control and 51 against Boros Convoke.
1: Like this doesn't sound like it's too bad of a choice. No, I, I considered playing it this weekend in my RCQs. Um, I think it's solid again. You know, it initially took a hit. When we had that shift six months ago that I talked about where Rakdos became the number one deck and Monogreen became number two, because obviously it's quite good against Monogreen and unfavored against Rakdos. And then there was a second hit right around the Pro Tour when the Gruul Vehicles deck started getting really popular as a, as a foil to Rakdos. The Gruul, like, Mono, Humans is horrible in that matchup. And so Humans had a very bad weekend. Uh, in um, Philadelphia, and since then it's sort of you know uh, you know been an afterthought in the metagame. But all of the the shifts since then have been positive for humans, and now we're starting to see enough of them accumulate where the deck is you know pretty solid again. The uh, the one issue that's not highlighted on this chart that I would uh, caution people uh, about is that the rakdos Sacrifice matchup is bad, unwinnable,
0: unwinnable. <laughs> Uh yeah, they uh as I was gonna say you can you can find it actually on here if you go up to the right oh, yeah, sacrifice to, and you go across against yeah, mono
1: white tw- twenty two, that's pretty yeah, good
0: yeah it's it's I think it might be the biggest number on the board I think besides the hundred percent since some small sample size there were some decks were like six zero or eight zero this is twenty and two versus a deck so pretty crazy like you saw you know let's the Angels on here this is one of the reasons people played this was it was a hundred percent his Boris Kavok like I just don't see Boris Kavok beating that deck ever in a normal game of magic. So anyway, um after Mono White, you kind of have some like other decks just kind of round out around 50%, right? Some of these things. But I wanted to talk about one of the decks that can, can had, I mention 50, one of these 50%ers. Yeah, sure. of... I was going to talk about one of them myself. Is it was it Demir Rogues? Uh we could talk about that for a second. I will say this we had two Demir Rogues player do really, really well at yeah. the RC here, including one of them making top eight and they were two of the top
1: contenders for like most of Swiss. And because of that, I would want to look into if their list, because their list was the same. Yeah. And if theirs was slightly different yeah. than the average list, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Is there, because Tamir Rogues has been a deck that's floating around the fringes of Pioneer for months now. Yeah. And there, those decks always have pretty high variance in how the lists are built. And so if somebody has finally found, you know, a, the best list or a, a significantly improved list of that deck, then yeah. it could be better than those numbers indicate i did see some newer cards in i'm trying to remember i top of my it. i have to go look at the list but i knew
0: they, one they of them the, they had the battle the new battle yeah they had the new blue black battle was they a had big four copies of, of it which yeah, I, I watched him copying a traxa in a mashup and i was like oh that's that's really really good it like they are very very dead yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a really easy to find one of the best cards your opponent's deck when you're constantly milling them as well it's so you have like that kind of stuff going on and then I think Demir Rose, I think it's probably good against some of the f- more fringy decks. Like talking about, you know, think in my mind, yeah, it's good against its creativity. It's decent against Control. It's really good against Grease Fang, it seems. And then it looks like it's really bad against the Agrodice, which I really, really expect it. Also, it seems like it didn't do well against Rakdos or that well against Monogreen, which kind of scares me. It's like got a 36% yeah. win percentage against Rakdos and 40 against Monogreen. That kind of turns me off the deck a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, th- those are small, pretty small samples. And if you look at, you know, he doesn't... Karsten doesn't list the numbers for the error bars, but you can just see them pictured in the graphic. Like, Demir Rogues has a pretty wide range because of its relatively low sample size. So, uh, that's where I, I, I'm less concerned with the numbers here and more looking at, did they find a specific list that's good? Sure. Yeah, that's what I want to see. One of the things that I wanted to point
0: out here was Enigmatic Fires. Uh, you know, the, the deck that our friend Ellie rafted so well with this weekend. I was... I don't know if I've ever rooted for someone so hard while doing coverage before, watching Elliot go through this tournament. Um was insane like one of the most fun it, it's some of the most fun i've ever had at time i was watching because he qualified for a pro tour so happy for him i if you're listening congratulations yet again you know i know i gave you a big hug and everything but seriously so so happy for you um i'm gonna take a side here I'm gonna, take, I'm gonna make a little bit of tanger, Ross. that out of all the magic coverage that i do i think the rcs might be my favorite and one of the main reasons is like you know i get to do interviews especially like early day two interviews we start talking to like the 10 o's and the 10 ones the 10 twos one of my first things when i ask these people when they get to the number that qualifies them in the pro tour when i have the interviews like hey have you ever qualified for a pro tour before and they're like no and i'm like well you just did congratulations and I'm like half of them have never realized it yet <laughs> and watching people realize i get to go and interview talk about the first time they have qualified for a pro tour is the most fun and like most rewarding thing that i get to do in my job when i could do that it's so awesome or talk to people that like they just qualify for worlds and it just blows their mind like is you know, the biggest match in the tournament, honestly, is the the semifinals. You know, the top four going into finals. Like, obviously, you're playing for money, but it's so... The highest EV match is the top four. Because they're going to go up a bunch of money, plus the EV of playing at the World Championships is so huge. Um, but to kind of back up to Enigmatic Fires, I want to point out one thing here, and I think this is one of the main reasons that Elliot A did well this weekend, and, and then they picked his deck over a very large sample size of over 100 matches, or mid-range seems like a pretty good matchup. They have a 65% win percentage in that matchup, and if that's 20% or over 20% of your matchups, uh, and then you're 50-50 pretty much against Monogreen because it's got 49% here, I'm I'm
1: pretty in I'm pretty into playing magic fires. You're an enchantment based mid range deck with a ton of card advantage, and it's very difficult to interact with. Like the the Rakdos matchup is definitely good, and there's very little they can do to to help it. Also, like against
0: the mono green decks, like. The rise of the aggro decks, I feel, actually kind of made the animatic fire stack a little bit better. Just, they started playing more temporal lockdowns, main and stuff like that. And like that card is actually pretty good against a lot of their really good draws. So they go like elf into like second elf or into what is it, Wolf Willow Haven. Almost oh, that word is such a mouthful. And you just pick up both of those off your yeah. temporal lockdowns. And then if you can if you can slow down their snowball starts, you can win pretty easily from there. Like one of my favorite things I saw Elliot do was, you know, he'd have an early um Oh my God, I just blank. What's the really expensive enchantment that's really cheap for domain and it kills something? Uh, leyline binding. Yeah, he you have like an early Leyline binding, takes something, and then half the time he doesn't even care if Leyline binding dies because he's going to sacrifice it to Enigmatic and then just go get something like Coma. Uh, like he, he had Coma all weekend long, just doing so much work against Monogreen because like they can just never beat that card. You're like, okay, like lock down your Nick this or lock down your land that has the wolf Haven have on it. Now I've taken two man away from you this turn or something along those lines. Plus you just have the six, six that like they can't yeah. attack through. It just,
1: it just dominates the battlefield. And yeah. That's, it's, it's a matchup all about playing to yeah. the battlefield.
0: Yeah. And then if, you know, if they get, if they get too frisky playing the bat to the battlefield, like I saw a like, dragon Lord at the target, do a lot of work in some of these spots where he's just like, all right, kill that and or like, you know, clean up a bunch of stuff. They have an eight, eight flying trampler thing. And, um, Looking across the the matchup matrix from it, yeah, it's not good against Azorius control. We we, we kind of knew that was coming. Same thing is a creativity. It's forty four percent there, thirty five percent Azorius control. That's palatable yeah. to me. But I, very I weak can, there. Yeah, also very weak to spirits and very weak to Lotus yeah. Field. But a little weak to Mono White as well, 42%, but I think that's just play draw dependability, I'm I'm pretty positive if you get to play in game one, you're like 50-50.
1: I do think that the Fires deck benefited from this like rise of Convoke, because it's a lot easier to, the the Fires decks, their plan against Aggro decks is to beat them with Temporary Lockdown and other Sweepers, and that plan is a lot better against Boros Convoke than it is against other aggressive decks. Yep. Um, and, and you see that reflected in those numbers, even in a small sample size. So, yeah, 58% against Convoke. And then it's got 61% against Abzan Grease Fang as well.
0: So, this is a deck that, while it only won 50% of its, uh, it's got a 50% web percentage overall. I'm pretty interested in this deck. Like, if I were to play tomorrow, I think this is the deck that I would sleeve up just because A, it's awesome. It's so much fun. Uh, it does some really cool over the top stuff. And I'll tell you this at lower level events and stuff where people are a little less prepared. Cause let's be, let's be real. The people at the RC are going to be more prepared than the people at RCQs and further down than like your f players playing Pioneer. I'm not saying anything bad about these players, but I'm saying at the level of uh, competence and the level of what's sort of like preparedness for the format. This is a deck that I remember, like I knew of this deck like, existence, but the first time I watched Elliot play and I pulled up his list, I was like, oh yeah, I didn't even know it did half the things that it does you know watching play like the lines you don't realize how bad it's about to be for you over the next turn or two you know and you don't realize some of the dumb stuff it can do when it draws fires or enigmatic and stuff like that so i think it's like really really powerful it goes way over the top of people and it's just so much fun it, it feels like a commander deck ross like you know what i mean like in constructed those are always like a lot of fun when i see stuff like that happening because you're like wait what are you doing you know it feels like a spike deck like a aspiring spike deck you know his are always a little weird you know we look at it a little off the beat and then you're like you you play it and you're like oh this makes sense
1: yeah so absolutely definitely feels like that i think that this deck we might have seen like a peak weekend for it Mm -hmm. you know i think so too yeah we're 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 probably going to see more green less ractos that's not as good for fires we're probably going to see more of these aggressive decks more spirits that's not good for fires and this weekend was probably one of the low weekends, even though it was still one of the more played decks. It was probably a low weekend for control just because of how a much negative publicity it was getting. It's after has been getting its horrible so much negative publicity. Before. Yeah, like so much. Yeah. So I, I think the way the metagame is, is going is going to be bad for Fires. Sure. But um, it, it's sort of one of the classic anti-Raktos decks. Like you want to play this deck when Rakdos is at its height. And if it's not, then I'm less interested in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the other end of the spectrum. Some of the stuff that maybe did a little underperforming and some of the numbers that were like maybe a little surprising. I don't know if I was surprised by this, but Rectus Midrange checked in at a losing record overall at 48.2%. This is over the span of 2,500 matches, Ross. So uh, a lot of sample size here. Uh, one of the big things that looked like it had a pretty bad match against Mono Green. You know, we talked about this. It only won 37 percent of its matches. It had a pretty good showing against Is it Creativity with 62 percent win percentage. But I'm going to mention that deck in just a minute. And probably this is one of the reasons why Rakdos had another losing. It's like the Creativity decks also did poorly this weekend, so it wasn't there for them to feast on later in the tournament, kind of stuff. And then the rest of the field, you're looking at you know somewhere between 47 and
1: 55 percent. So a lot of coin flips. So you're looking at junk, pretty yeah. much. And this is this is the end result of all mid range decks. Is eventually the metagame fully adapts to it, you become a little uh, inbred to beat mirror matches, and you become this like forty five percent deck that is slightly behind against almost everything, and there's not really a, a lot of incentive so uh, to play it. So I uh, I'm not at all surprised that Rakdos mid had a weekend like this. I think that's where you know we've been gearing up, and we're gonna. It's not going to go away, but it's going to decline. I think we're going to start seeing tournaments where instead of 20 to 25% Rakdos, it's 10 to 15%. And that's yep. a pretty big difference, and it's going to have ripple effects for the rest of the metagame because you're not going to be able to just rely on an, a great Rakdos matchup in order you know, to carry a deck through a, met, through a tournament. And you're going to start to see decks that say, you know what? I have a bad Rakdos matchup, but who cares because I beat all of these other things.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if that's the thing that you're looking for in the future, that might be a good spot. If your deck is good against the field, but has like a worse practice matchup, like, maybe that's a, a, an okay spot for you to be in going forward. Uh, decks that might not be in an okay spot going forward. Uh, a few more of these ones that had a little bit less showings than I thought. Boris Convoke really surprised me this weekend. A, I don't know if it was a like card availability, people couldn't get the stuff, I thought more people would show up with it. B, only won 47.7% of its matches for an overall losing uh, percentage here this weekend, but it looks like it has a pretty decent matchup versus rectus mid-range in 156%. It had a palatable matchup against Mono Green, you know, at 45, but it looks like it really struggled against like the control decks, uh, and Grease Fang, other aggro decks and like Mono White. It does not have winning percentage against either one of those with Azores Control Grease Fang both being at 32 and 33%, which is really bad. But I'm just kind of surprised. Was this just kind of like a flash of the pan thing? And now that people know about it, it's good. Or were you just like, not found its final form yet, where it's going to become more of a player.
1: Well, there's not really a final form to find, right? You know, th- there was some talk of different tech cards for the deck, like Thalia or Judge's Familiar to help you against the sweepers that people are playing. And yeah, like that can help you to an extent. There, there's a couple flex spots at the end of each list, but for the most part, like you, you've got to play your Bushwhackers, you've got to play your Gleeful Demolitions, you've got to play the one-drops that make Artifacts and your Ornithopters, and you got to play your five-drops I'm like that's already you know 80 percent of the deck and so you've got you know not a ton to play with um you know you, and I guess you also have to play some like two mana you know token makers um you know and beyond that it's like do you play Clarion spirit or burning Tree Emissary or some mix of both there really just isn't a lot of malleability to the way that deck is built. I think we, you know, spent a week collectively figuring out that this deck wasn't broken, and that turned a lot of people off of it. I wouldn't be surprised if the average, you know, skill level of a Boros Convoke player was a little bit lower. Um, You know, I know Todd played the deck, and I'm not sure if there was a better player in the room playing it than him. He did reasonably well. Uh, I think was a match away from from Max McVidi was playing it as well. Okay, yeah, that makes sense too. Uh, always playing aggro decks is okay. max and I, and I saw his name, you know, n- n- you know, up in uh in the reasonable part of the standings towards the end of the tournament. So the, the couple of good players that, that brought it, I think did well, I bet there were a lot of weaker players playing it thinking, oh, this deck is great. And they kind of latched onto it and maybe they weren't mulligan aggressively enough to really fast hands or You know, this is a deck where I think, you know, a better player could win a lot of games where you limp over the finish line for the last couple points that weaker players aren't going to get. Um, And that might be reflected in its win rate. But, you know, I never thought this deck was anything awesome. And um, I I honestly, you know, given this matchup spread, it's another deck that, you know, more favorable Raktos matchup, less favorable mono green matchup. I would expect this deck to get worse positioned in the coming weeks. So, um, I don't think it's gonna, you know, completely go away. It'll still be around, but it's not something that you have to be that worried about. I don't think it's gonna be above five percent anytime soon.
0: another uh, deck that came in with a losing record uh that was you know heavily played this weekend is a creativity with over a large sample size, 55 I'm sorry, 45.8% winning percentage here. One of the real standouts for me was its uh record versus the two top decks. You're looking at 38% against Rectus mid-range. In forty-one percent against Mono Green, that's not good, Ross. If you're not yeah. winning against either one of those decks, you're gonna have a long tournament.
1: Yeah, no, notably one of very few decks to post like that, those poor of numbers in the top two matchups. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think there's much more to say. I, I there's a bunch of different versions of this deck, so I think it would be somewhat interesting to, to maybe suss out differences. Is the you know Gear Hulk version, a version, or Worm version? Uh, are any of them, you know, significantly better? But I think this deck was, uh you know, if you if you looked back to to Philadelphia, like, its numbers were not great when you considered that it was a small sample. And that sample was heavily biased towards a lot of the best players in the room. So I think I just don't think the deck is that good. Plus, well, <laughs> winning the event gives you that like extra bump in like people wanting to play it, etc. You know, yeah, that does a thing, too. I, I, so honestly, I just, I just don't think the deck is, is particularly good. Like, you know, sure. yeah. What what is it supposed to be good against?
0: Yeah. So <laughs> it, obviously we're, um, kind of glossing over some stuff here and going, you know, you can go into the minutia more yourself, but we're kind of giving you an overall look, but so that's going to be it's
1: one of very few decks whose error bar doesn't even touch 50% because it's sample size is big enough that even at 46% win rate, like. Their nine, you know, the 95% confidence interval doesn't extend beyond 50, which is, yeah. you know, so that there is actually a statistical, you know, statistically significant difference between is it creativity and the few decks that have an error bar above 50%, which is Azoria Spirits, Rectus Sacrifice, and Azorius Lotus Field. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Uh, there were... I think it's gonna be it for our coverage of like the regional championship show. We can go into this more, go into pioneer more. I feel like we're our old selves here, our old podcast, yeah, talking about pioneer here. But let's talk about a second about some of these Lord of the Rings cards that come out. You know, like I said, we're doing this on the Friday afternoon, June 9th, 4 PM my time, 5 p.m. your time. And we've got the full spoiler out. And you and I did not go through every single card, but we did have a few more that kind of like stood out where a, either they stood out like, for a for certain reason, like, oh, maybe playability, or I kind of wish a little bit one way or the other, or something, or they just kind of caught your eye. Um, for me, one of the ones uh, that we were talking about a little bit that I thought was cool, let me scroll down to this and find the actual cards. Again, the name of it. Uh, Ross, I'm kind of sl- slowly doing this. If you had one
1: you're ready to go with, go for it. Um, so the card that I've noticed, I'm not sure when it was previewed, but. Um... Is oh no I'm I'm I, I found it I
0: found it by the way I can just go to mine real quick if you want sure okay it was a uh, flame of Anor and this one's cool like I don't think it's gonna be like anything great or anything but this could show up in the blue red decks and Modder that we already have in place so it's one red blue for an instant and it says choose one if you control a wizard as you cast this spell you may choose two instead so it's, target player draws two cards to return artifact this deals five damage to target a creature um so three mana for you know this kind of effect in blue red we've seen some similar things three mana is a lot in those kind of actually early you know stuff costs one or two in this decks or it can be reduced to one or two depending if it's the wizards and that for, for blue red burn but in a matchup i can see this maybe being like a cyber card in matchups where like mirror-ish games and anywhere it goes long where you can kill a creature plus draw two cards like let's say you're playing it's an omnath deck or you're playing it's the mirror where you're like deal five damage thing draw two cards for three mana that's pretty good. That you is know, it's kind of a three for one in the matchup. Plus, you're almost always going to have a wizard in play. You know, you're you're playing a bunch of them, so you can play this kind of thing. Not saying it's going to be an all star starting out a lot of decks or anything like that, but I can see this being a cool sideboard card at some point for certain matchups where, like, this effect, if I get this off, is
1: game breaking. Honestly, I, I could see main decking it in small numbers, too. Yeah, like one or two, maybe. Yeah, I can yeah. maybe see that as well. Yeah. Um, The card I was looking at is Lotho Corrupt Sheriff. Is it really pronounced sheriff? It's, I it's, mean, I'm not. I'm not sure if that is. It's how it's pronounced at all, Ross. But is, um, it, is it like sheriff of the shire? Is that I, why? Bro, it's, I don't. I don't know, man. That's <laughs> that's got to be it. But uh, it's white and black for two. One. Whenever a player casts their second spell each turn, you lose a life and create a treasure token. And while that's really cool because it triggers off your opponent too, and the extra treasures are going to help you continue to like play more, play double spells, and really like gain this huge tempo advantage. It's a two mana two one in a format with Brennan Six. And it really annoys me that modern is like that, where like you just like can't play creatures anymore. <laughs> like uh-huh. I you know, like Yawgmoth is the exception where the entire deck is built around Yawgmoth. and like that card is so powerful in that shell that it doesn't matter. Um and that deck, you know, also just plays a bunch of dying creatures that are good against spot removal, but uh-huh. I wish I wish I could play this card in it like in Pioneer. Yeah, I can see that. There's um, a lot of cards in this set I feel that way about where I'm just like, same. it would be really cool if I could play these cards, but same. it's a modern legal set. And so that means only like six of them are ever going to see any play. Tangent real quick for that. Since Snapcaster was
0: the promo this week at the RC, I think it's time for that to come into Pioneer.
1: I, yeah. I think it's probably time. I'm literally going to hold on to mine until they get reprinted into some format so they're worth something again. The, the, the Pioneer... Uh master set that
0: we've been promised for like five years but it'll never happen anyway uh another card that i thought stood out here um this is for, I think mostly the commander players but this one is spiteful banditry it's x red red for a red enchantment it says when this enters the battlefield it deals x damage to each creature when one or more creatures your opponent's girl die you create a treasure token this ability triggers like once you start now this doesn't trigger multiple times or whatever but this feels kind of like the Red Meat Hook Massacre-ish to me. Obviously, they've learned their lesson. They've chilled out, you know, a little bit. But I think this is one of those cards that, like, I wouldn't be surprised if this is just like a $50 card at some point in time because of, like, Commander. Any of the kill your opponent stuff. Because there's, there's only triggers on your opponent's creatures dying. This is one or more of your creatures your opponent's girl and can create a treasure token. But, you know, I can see this coming up quite a bit. In those decks, so yeah, it, and if you're playing like red black kill stuff or red black everybody sacrifice stuff, like that, it's kind of my jam and stuff. But I can I can see this one uh, making a show at some point in
1: time somewhere. Uh, it makes me want to try to build a mono red devotion deck somehow. Okay, like in actual constructed, yeah. I don't sure. you know. Whenever I see cards like this that are like very useful. Uh, and like mana sinks that also are difficult to answer pips on the battlefield. I just want to play it with Nykthos. I don't know how we would ever do that in modern, but I have I have that dream tan.
0: Uh, I'm I'm glad you have that dream. You, you can you can stick to it. Um, another card that I was kind of looking at. I'm pretty sure this one is just a commander one. Yeah, it has the different set symbol. Um, this is a commander card that I thought would be cool to actually if it showed up in constructed somewhere because I think. It might be too good, honestly, for sixty card decks. <laughs> this is going to be weird to say. Uh, it's Feasting Hobbit. It's one the green for a two-two. It's a halfling citizen. It has Devour Food
1: three. Do you remember how Devour works? Yeah, you can sacrifice any number of food as you. Is it as you cast it or and as it enters? I don't. That I don't
0: remember. It's one of the two, yeah. but it just gets three plus minus one counters for every food that you sacrifice. It says creatures of power less than Feasting Food's power can't block it. So this thing's going to be, like, a 5-5 five five or an 8-8 eight eight a lot of times for two mana, and, like, can't be chump blocked. And, like, yeah, you probably can't do this on turn two, obviously, or whatever. But, like, if you go, like, Gilded Goose or something like that into this on turn two, it's just, like, a 5-5 five that five can't be blocked. Like, that's that's a real thing in a lot of constructed formats. You know, you have this turn two that five five can't be chump blocked. You know, this is a card that i'd be a little worried it seems like actually legal in some other sets but, but being we don't commander, have to worry because only commander players get the fun cards and i'm sure someone's gonna play some deck with it there's gonna be a food deck somewhere where like you know you have food for value you're gonna play this you're gonna sacrifice like five foods to it it's gonna be like a 30 30 or whatever you know they're gonna affect and they're gonna be like all right play some spell that lets it deal that damage to you know rights of consumption or whatever it's called deal the damage to all my opponents it's gonna be really you're gonna fling it at somebody you're going to get to piss off one person real good in your Commander game, and I'm all for it. Can we talk about the box toppers for a second that are in the set? Have you seen them? No. They're awesome. So the art is amazing. Um, the reprints are really cool. Like, the cards that are actually reprinted, but they're all, like, turned into, like, you know, Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle-Earth type stuff. Like, here's a good one. So, like, uh, you know, Sword of Hearth and Home is turned into, I have no idea what it's on, but it's the Sword of Rohan. You know, and then uh, it's like, uh the thorn of amethyst has become the shards of narsil you know and cabal coppers is menace morgul and stuff like that you know like just really cool if you're into like the thematic part of the set if you like lord of the rings or you like whatever like there's some really cool arts here like so some of the other reprints uh caracas is getting reprinted in this. this is the white tower uh horizon canopy is bag end you know which is really cool gemstone caprins is in this one uh Castle Arbendale is kind of a, you know, whatever, but it the, the art's amazing. Um, Core Haven, it looks like, is in this. Mouth of Ronum. Orboro, Pillar of the parents Urborg is in this, which is really cool. It's the Dead Marshes. Helm's Deep is going to be the Blood Soaked Keep, which is really cool. And Reflecting Pool is in this as well. So some really cool, like, m- money reprints in here for box toppers as well. So really cool stuff for, you know, if you're opening up these packs, if you're looking for the One Ring, there's, there's some other stuff going on in here as well can we talk about the one ring again for a second sure as well um i gonna hate this but the capitalist part of this came out so i forget the football player's name it's a Cassius or something like that he uh he came out and put out an offer last week for the ring if you get it he offered five hundred thousand dollars for the ring and since then a uh company has come out and said they will give you one million dollars and david adams
1: card world i saw that
0: one for the ring do not open again, do not open your packs in public. Like, I just don't want the damn story. Yeah, it'd be everybody's like gonna be somatic if somebody gets you know beat up or whatever over the ring or whatever they dig at. Like, that's not cool. Like, don't open your packs in public. If you open the one ring, immediately contact a lawyer, <laughs> a notary, all the like take all the necessary steps. Don't tweet about it right away. Like get that thing in a safety deposit box or call a auction house. Like do like Google search whoever did the last like you know a, you know some big baseball cards and stuff just got sold recently it's like that find out the ones that did the last one of those. get involved with that it's gonna be worth it down the line to make sure everything is copacetic and gets everything done so just be, be careful people because this has the chance of just being an absolute disaster and yeah. i'm not i'm not excited about it it's you you took a zero-sum game and you added in a lot of areas i'm not i'm not very happy about that when it came to this but it's cool, it'll sell packs, but whatever. Um, do you want to, like, talk about these two questions that were in the mail deck submission before we get out of here?
1: Can we talk about one more card first? I'm not sure if we talked about this one before, but it's probably the most hyped card for constructed in the set. Sure, In sure. Stir and Scolding. It's one blue instant counter-target creature spell with power or toughness two or less. Oh, yeah, yeah, that card's cool. Yeah. So it hits Dragon's Rage Channeler, it hits Raghavan, it hits Ledger Shredder, it hits Solitude is a big one. Uh doesn't well, at hit least it, Fury. Wait, is it a Power Two or Less? Power or Toughness. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, it hits Yawgamoth. It hits Dryad of the Elysian Grove. It okay, I'm, hits, I'm already
0: in. I'm already in.
1: Yeah, and it hits a lot. So like, how many of these do you think we're playing in our Is It Murktide decks? Hmm. A lot? I, I'd say like some high number once you get to the sideboard. Sure, sure. I'm trying to... Like, it's obviously like you know, quite good in the mirror, countering almost everything. Though not hitting Murktide is annoying, um. And I'm just trying to think like, are you? Do you want this in your deck, in a matchup where there's only really one target, even if the target is really good? Probably um, oh, not. I counters every creature out of out of Hammer. That's a that's <laughs> that's nice. Um not good ag- not really good against the cascade decks um i guess it can be okay against burn if you're on the play probably not great on the draw against them very weak against tron unplayable against creativity um so like is that enough where this is now sort of sounding like a cyber card like
0: yeah uh I, I don't know I. I think there's a chance that it does show up, for sure. I, I, I can see the hype. It seems pretty
1: cool to me. Ooh, it counters Is Seasoned sur- Pyromancer. Okay. So it counters a lot of the cards out of Scam. Yeah, it Ooh. counters Void Voidwalker, Season Pyromancer, and Grief.
0: Okay. And
1: Turok out of Scam. Does everything but Fury. Um, so it's good against Murktide, Rakdos, and Hammer. And Moth That's probably... I don't think you can afford to play a, a high number in your main deck. So I, I don't think mm-hmm. you can afford to play more than like two, but you can play more in your sideboard if it proves to be good enough in those matchups. Okay. So I'm expecting one to two in the main and then maybe one to two in the sideboard. Yeah,
0: I can I can see that. That sounds really good to me, actually. I'm in for that.
1: Okay, we figured it out. You heard it here. We broke it. Okay, We, we know exactly um, how good Stern's
0: scolding is. Sure. <laughs> I'm gonna get a stern scolding for how long I took to answer these mailbag submission questions. Jesus. Alright, we got Sh- uh, Chef Petro. By the way, welcome back, buddy. It's been a while. i missed you. I missed your food pictures. They're utterly amazing. Speaking of that, I'm starving. Uh, he says, great to be back. Love you guys. Uh, last MCQ Pioneer, I played Mono White. Didn't have a ton of reps. Just picked it up. Mistake one. Uh, the list was a copy of someone's list from PT Phyrexia. Do you think the Pioneer format has become increasingly volatile to linear aggressive strategies? And if so... What could we see that would bring these strategies back to a better position? Well this kind of answered itself. You know, we had another aggro deck uh, kind of pop up, um, a format adjusted to it. You had a lot of people put a little more sweepers main or make deck choices that could compete and keep up with this deck. It did not have as high of a win percentage or as good of a showing at the RCs as we expected in Boros Convoke. But I will say this mono white, the the humans deck, I I to me it feels like an overperformance. In the fact that I did not expect it to do what it did this weekend, and I have that deck on my radar again when it was firmly off
1: of it before this weekend. Yeah, and I'll reiterate, uh, you know, the things I mentioned earlier in that the aggro decks really prefer outside of Boris Convoke, which is a sort of more of a combo deck. Um, it, it's, it's just so linear, but the, the aggro decks like Mono White um, and Spirits to a degree much prefer to play in green heavy metagames as opposed to Rakdos heavy metagames. So as you know, in the months since you've asked this question, the metagame has shifted much more favorably for them. And that's what needed to happen. We needed to, uh, you know, have the Rakdos decks become a little bit more inbred to win mirror matches. And we needed to see them, you know, see Rakdos not perform as well and, you know, mono green to sort of put it in its place again. Uh, and that happened over this last weekend. So um, if you wanted to pick up humans now, uh, n- now I think would be a, a relatively good time to do so, uh, with the caveat that like, y- you might run into Rakdos Sacrifice. Just be wary of that one matchup. hmm Yeah. Sounds good to me.
0: Uh, Reverend Christ says, what sh- uh, could Watsi do to actually get people to pick up Paper Standard again? Well, it looks like they listened to his question and they figured that out. You know, we talked about this a little bit on an episode prior, so I don't want to go too far into this, about the uh elongation of the rotation uh that we're going to have in the future it's going to be on three years now but i think they're going to be pretty they're going to be a little more aggressive in banning the problematic cards in standard and you know i think it was what was this our last episode where we talked about the bannings that happened yeah something so yeah so be more along answering from that episode um i would be remiss if i didn't mention it before the episode that brent had another good weekend at the RC, I think he came up one match short, if I remember right, of qualifying for the Pro Tour. But he had a really good showing with the Traxa deck. You know, he stuck to his guns, played the deck that he's really good at. Um, he got on camera as well uh, this weekend. Not a great showing on camera. That kind of like didn't do what it was going to do. It was about it kind of disrupted him a little bit. And uh, I didn't get to watch the match a ton. I, it's hard for me to sit there and actually watch matches and stuff while stuff's going on. You know, I'm trying to work or whatever. But um, another great showing, Brent. We all got to hang out and get to have dinner one night, even though. I'm sure you can, you can kind of test it. We were all exhausted in that dare there. The, the energy levels, yeah. the vibes are definitely low, but oh, overall yeah. it was fun just hanging out. Very, very low energy. Um, yeah. I mean, it's because that, that was that after day one. Yeah. And day one oh. was just so long. Yeah. 13 hours. Yeah. And i to get there early and stay late on a lot of this stuff. So I, you know, I was working like for a 14, 15 hour day or something like that, you know, after traveling and shit. So I was just exhausted and y'all were, you know, your, your heads had to be ready to explode from all the play that you had to do. We were just like, give us any food, give us any drinks, and then immediately when I was done, I was like, I'm going back to my hotel room and going
1: to bed. Yeah. There was a reason I punted the last match. <laughs> like, yeah. I literally, like my my brain literally turned off for those five seconds. <laughs> like, I've done that, that so many times. Yeah, and I was like, wait, what just happened? But, oh, uh, <laughs> getting getting back to the question, uh, you know, obviously he has already done something, but. That I think is sort of secondary to what they actually have to do. Um, And it, which is just provide us more opportunities to play standard at a high level. You know, part of, you know, we went through several years where you just didn't really play a lot of standard, you know, in your major tournaments. They were trying to get Pioneer back on track, they were trying to promote. Historic and explorer and these you know arena only formats and then uh, you know standard also had alchemy going on and you know I think the 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 competitive you know local competitive scenes tend to follow a lot of what's going on at the highest level because you're you're always looking at what the pros are doing and you know copying their deck list or so their new tech so the more that those players are playing the formats you want us to play in paper, the more like the better those formats Mm -hmm. are going to be Mm -hmm. or the, the the better, you know, attended and represented they're going to be at the lower level. And Uh, I a hundred percent agree. We've just had it. We've, we've had the high level of the highest levels of magic get really divided because of the, the addition of all these arena formats that Watsi wants to push. And there, there's also just sort of been a lack of, you know, third-party, you know, tournaments to watch. When Legacy got big in the early 2010s, it was because you could watch almost every weekend on the SCG Tour. And we were also playing a ton of Standard in those days on the SCG Tour. And nowadays, you know, even the people that are doing those kinds of tournaments, in order to get the numbers to even make it reasonable, they, ha- they have to play Modern because that's what's already established. So they're not able to, you know, promote a format as a sort of loss leader because they just don't have the, you know, they're not big enough to to absorb that loss for the amount of time it would take to build it. So uh-huh. it really needs to come from Watsi at this point. And, you know, I, I expect that to happen. You know, they, they basically have already did it. They already did it with Pioneer. They actually did it with Modern. Anybody who was here 10 years ago, like Modern was not very popular and yeah. was barely played. And, you know, we almost never played it on the SCG Tour, but Watsi just kept pushing like Modern Grand Prix and, Other tournaments, now modern is the most popular constructed format there is. So, you know, it it, it takes some time. It's not, you know, these aren't things where you can just snap your fingers and, you know, LGSs are going to go back to hosting 40-player standard FMs. But the more they put standard in the spotlight and the more they have the pros, you know, D- you know, develop uh, and other high level players, you know, develop new strategies. And, you know, then they're writing content about it that people are reading on Patreons and they're streaming it and people are watching it on Twitch. So just the more of it in the ecosystem, you know, the, the more people will naturally want to play it. They'll see a deck they think is really cool. And they're like, oh, I, I you know, now I want to go to my, you know, have a standard F at my local store instead of, you know, whatever else the people are playing. So, it really just takes them to put the effort to start it at the top and have that sort of trickle down as much as I dislike that phrase.
0: So like, I absolutely love most of our almost all and everything that you said, because it really hits for me. It's like what I think of my, like from my own perspective, the height of competitive magic, when it comes to viewership, like watching at home, everyone being as a, ingrained to do it as much as possible. It's, you was know, in the last decade maybe a tiny bit more of those years where you had segs going on often you had grand prix going on often you had new sets coming out right before pro tours and players had to like break standard to win the pro tour like i can't remember how many times i watched pro tours and i was like i can't wait to see the newest deck that comes out and then i would run to my lgs to get those cards you know and i would love to play like the newest cool deck you know i was a control player at one point so i was like i want to see guillaume off the top of his deck from this weekend you know, what's, what's he play and that kind of stuff. Or what version of call blade is Jerry playing this weekend? You know, like, did he add red to his deck? Did he add black to his deck? Is he just straight blue, white? Like what, what's he doing this weekend? And they're innovating all the time. And if you give players incentive to do that and you have this going on more, it's like you said, there's no third party stuff anymore. You know, we have like energy to a tiny step back this weekend. I mean, this year, yeah. which, you know, right and they're so, just
1: all modern and pioneer like that.
0: Yeah. The, here, here's a good example. SCG's got a team event coming up next month in Cincinnati. Do you know what the formats are? Not standard. <laughs> they have legacy, but not standard. Because I've been asked to play on multiple teams because they need a legacy player. I took a look at legacy and said, no, thank you. Because my deck is unplayable. You have legacy right now. And yeah, I just I think that it's kind of like what we saw was going to happen to Pioneer right before COVID. You guys are seeing Pioneer get a lot of support, like the GP level, and it's just starting to get support at the SCG level. And so it was going to get really, really popular. Ross and I even were on record saying we thought it was going to be the most popular
1: paper format. And I still, to this day, think that was very possible going to happen. That I mean, it was I, going to. I think we're going, we're starting to see it. We're getting to the point where Modern is prohibitively expensive for a lot it's of legacy. players.
0: Modern is legacy now, and Pioneer is the new Modern. Yeah, and we're going to have that happen again in ten years or whatever. You know, if we're still here playing all this stuff you know, ross you, we'll we'll see if you and i are still here physically but i oh, that sounded very ominous you know what i mean like i mean if you, you're still around magic r-
1: right now but pioneer is what 11 10 11 years of cards because it's rtr sure. and forward you know that's less than what modern was when modern was mm-hmm. first made a format modern yeah. is 03 forward and it started in 2011 so it was a, it was about eight years of, of cards Uh, When it started and it started getting popular right around this time, three or four years later, uh, you know, which was actually after right after like the twin and pod bands. Um, And, I, you know, we're obviously like people like to complain about uh, about Pioneer. It's actually the same complaints they had about modern back then where, you know, they it was non-interactive and all these decks are just sort of doing their own thing. And every matchup is two ships passing the night. And so then you just have this matchup lottery that you're playing and you hope to not, you know, hit your bad matchups because there's nothing you can really do about them. And there's nuggets of truth in those complaints, even if they're somewhat overblown. But for the most part, like what's going to make the format popular is just a diversity of different decks and decks that people want to play with. These are complaints that are happening from, you know, really high level players that just want, you know, super intricate gameplay which you know you do get in modern with all the free spells and the cheap interaction. I I I think Pioneer could stand to have, you know, a couple more good pieces of cheap interaction for decks to play around with um you know and, and so I think that the balance isn't correctly struck as of yet, but once they do that, you know, and it happened in modern really once Fatal Push got printed. Like before right. Fatal Push, it was really really difficult for uh you know Thoughtsies decks <laughs> um you know to 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 do a whole lot and the obviously like Jun you know then a more more of a skewed mana base because they had all these cheap discard and then they had all their you know all their removal was red and then all their you know their threats were green and you, you made it work with fetches and shocks or whatever but it wasn't <laughs> yeah. ideal uh but the you know w- we've seen formats you know r- rise up many times before is, is the real point. And it just takes a lot of support from Watsy because players are going to gravitate towards, you know, where the tournaments are. That's, that's just how, how it works. We're going to play where, you know, where the big events are, because that's what, that's what we're playing for. And so the more, and and then, you know, the more, the more eyes that are on those tournaments, the more eyes that are on standard as a result of them, you know, the more people are going to see things that they like and, and want to emulate those strategies that, you know, and those decks. So that's really what it takes. I think the the move that Watsi made, you know, in changing the uh, rotation schedule and timeline is to sort of, it, it, it was sort of a precursor and to just sort of like give people a reason to think, you know, standard is going to be different and change the, change the sort of perception of the format. Um, and make it easier for people to get back into it once we do start seeing more standard support. And it also gives them a greater degree of flexibility in dealing with problem cards. And that, because that's where standard really got into, up, you know, where standard really lost its popularity in the first place. So we had several years where standard was awesome. And then uh, Kaladesh hit, and it was just energy decks every single you know, time and they kept banning stuff, you know, they banned, uh, the, the cat combo and then they banned aetherworks Marvel. And, you know, finally they just had to ban, you know, the basic energy cards and somehow attuned with ether was a banned card in standard. Um, and then, you know, it sort of just sort it, it almost sort of kept happening where we just things kept slipping through the cracks after years of, uh, you know, not really having to ban, ban cards, uh, you had Smuggler's Copter, we had Emrakul, we had, you know, obviously the the nonsense during the pandemic with Wilderness Reclamation and Uro and Fires of Invention and Companions, and uh, there are just so many cards that cause Standard to be completely out of balance. And uh, I'm sure there are many reasons that that happened, but I wouldn't expect to have a wave of bans like that, you know, moving forward, at least hopefully not, but... Um, there, it's now pretty clear that like, they're going to be more aggressive in banning cards to keep the format fresh and, uh, you know, uh, and to, you know, stop that sort of cycle that standard has been in for several years now. But the, the main thing it's going to take to get standard back on track is to just have us play standard tournaments. <laughs> Thanks for the
0: extremely long answer, Ross. <laughs> really yeah. appreciate it. You're anyway. welcome. Yeah, I know uh bread sorry you're gonna have to deal with all that uh love you buddy hope we get to see you sometime soon and uh for everybody at home that listened thanks so much for listening to this episode and we'll see you all next week